Welcome to the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one resource for all things Husky NCHC hockey related. And last week we were talking uh, about our dearly departed uh, Meatloaf and uh, his hit song, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Uh, we, we didn't get two out of three, uh, but we also didn't lose. We got two ties and a win over the weekend. Uh, Andrew, I'm just right out of the gate here. Uh, is that better or worse than meatloaf? It's not as catchy lyrics wise. He didn't sing one win and two ties. Ain't, ain't bad. <laughs> you can tell why I'm the karaoke champ. I think it's better. I mean, it's at least as good as two out of three ain't bad. I mean, if two two out of three would have been six points and then not getting three points, and with the shootout win and loss all in there, as it all ended up, six points, and you gave up three points. So from the conference point standpoint, it's exactly what I wanted. And from a pairwise perspective, the 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 lack of losses is again not any worse than going two and one rather than one oh and two so i'll take it how about you yeah it was one of those things where you know going into it yeah two out of three i want to win you know I, I think two out of three that that would kind of be the barometer of the season uh and coming out of it with kind of an unlikely scenario with two ties and a win i was happy with the outcome not only that with how everything went, and then I even started kind of going back in my mind thinking maybe was the panic even justified? Because during our six-game winless streak, we held we had leads in three of them, and we just ended up losing them, you know, somewhere throughout the game, kind of in different ways as well. Won a massive lead that was blown, one um was kind of a, a a three to one lead against North Dakota that would just kind of slowly just kind of chipped away and whatnot. It was, you know, maybe it's like, you know, things were not clicking and we could see things were not clicking, but you know, this is the top tier of the conference and the top tier in the nation. And obviously we want to win these games, but maybe it was just a little bit of gunk in the gears. And this weekend kind of gets us over the hump and gets us kind of moving back in the right direction. And that's, kind of where I'm at with, right now with this weekend. And I, I think, you know, this is going to be a big test here to make sure that we continue with this momentum. I would say what a difference the Saturday game makes. I thought it was the biggest win of the year. That's true. And if not, they would have lost that game. We'd be singing a whole different tune. Uh, because that, especially with how Friday ended as yeah, well, See, exactly. now, I'm, now I'm swinging back the other way. You know, that's uh, another game we, we, we lost because I wasn't blown away by the, the, the Tuesday or the Friday performances. And a lot of the usual, usual suspects were at fault in those games and in not turning those into, into wins that Friday or that Saturday game then against Western I, again, I, I think it's the biggest win of the year. And if they would have dropped that game, then I think it's full panic mode. Would have it would have made it even better. I mean, so the Huskies win obviously at four to one on Saturday, and so we're all happy from the Husky standpoint. And then I t- tune into the third period of that Denver Duluth game. That would have been huge if 
Denver would have won that game because then it was now the currently the gap between fifth and fourth, the Huskies and Duluth is four points. Denver would have won that game. It would have been a one point uh, difference, which means you basically win that second makeup game in a couple of Tuesdays. You've made up that difference between Duluth and I would say you're in the driver's seat for home ice at that point. How Denver or how Duluth ended up winning that game is just so classic Duluth. I want to save that rant and uh, for later. Um, but God, I hate Duluth, and that's that game is like a perfect encapsulation of why. Why don't we uh, stick to the business at hand here and 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 talk about the three Husky games first this weekend? Sounds sounds good. Uh, I'm Weldy sitting here with Andrew, so we'll talk about the uh, the first uh, first game here on Friday. As usual, how it happens is uh, our our conversations will bleed in just yeah. the whole weekend. And but um, you know we'll we'll kind of start out here um, with uh, with Friday's game, and you know well, that was we want to talk about Tuesday. Oh, geez, yeah, Tuesday. Let's go back to Tuesday's game. There we go. So yeah, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday Duluth, um, just a first and second period, absolutely terrible. It was just. Uh, Huskies get out shot sixteen to nine. Um, there in the the second period, we lackluster. Didn't look like we were engaged at all. It, it was it, it was just a, a a gross first two periods of the game, and then we came out in the third. I don't know what was said in the locker room, but it must have been something along the lines of, "Hey, our season kind of rides on this." And um, Donahue and Meyer, two defensemen. Um, you know, one early, one with the extra attacker late, we're able to uh, score, end up tying it up. So, you know, coming off of, um, you know, that disappointment in Denver, somehow finding a way to win or, you know, to tie it back up and, and force overtime, eventually get that tie. It it was a big sigh of relief for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you said, getting getting those goals from unexpected sources. Donahue, uh, not someone, his first goal of the year, not someone that you're you know, looking at for high offense, high offensive output. You're barely looking at him for high output defense, too. Right, yeah. I, I could, <laughs> uh, again, I could rant on that. I'm pretty much done with him. But, I mean, he has, he's been on one of the power play units, uh, which, again, I can say how much I hate his his the slingshot play that he loves and does every single time on the power play, but whatever we're, we're, we're trying to stay positive here. Uh, and his goal <laughs> I, might've been the, the jump start. And I, I've been uh, last week was, I was sort of saying that Fanti is perhaps the goalie of the conference, best goalie in the conference. And that was a real weak goal. I thought he let up kind of just a fluttering shot that uh, I, I'm not sure what, if he didn't see it correctly or, or what, but a bad goal to give up. And uh, for the rest of that third period, it seemed like the Huskies were in control from a from a possession standpoint. And Duluth kind of doing their lockdown defensive style was working up until the last minute. Thought the Huskies caught a bit of a break on um, play that during the empty net coming down, it looked like it could have been a bit of a penalty uh, on on the Huskies. Uh, there was a uh, there was a lot of debate on Twitter. I'm I'm really? I'm curious on where you stand up on that. Um, with the uh, Cronulla going down and 
making a play there in the defensive end is is that is that a tripping call what 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 your eye what 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 would you say i'll need to watch it again um i just remember at the time thinking i oof i i thought that they got got away with one uh if it was the other way around you know if the huskies were having the lead and that could have that could have been a, uh, an empty net goal to ice the win. I would have been up in arms, I'm sure. So I, I, yeah. I would, I'd have to watch it again to get a better opinion of it. But I just remember at the time thinking I thought they got away with one. What do you think? It's, it, it, it's one of those where I actually didn't think it was a penalty, but I feel that refs call it as a penalty all the time. It was because, you know, when I looked at it and looked at it live, it looked more like Cronulla got more stick, and it was a stick lift. And I think the UMD player was trying to initiate contact. And then when Cronulla wasn't there, he just kind of slipped out more on his own. And I feel that happens actually quite a bit on tripping calls. Um, and it's called. So I, I it was one of those things that's like, I wouldn't have fault if they would have made, made the call there. And, um, I also think in that point of the game, I think the ref kind of thought it was a little bit too could go either way to make a stand. And so I think that's kind of what that ref was kind of thinking. I think it's a judgment call. I've seen it made plenty of times and I could see both sides of it. And yeah, if I was a UMD fan, I would be salty about it too. However, However, on the penalty shot, or I'm sorry, on the shootout, Cronulla's was a goal, and I will stand by that. Oh yeah, um, I know they, I know they reviewed that and they looked in and that, and I know people were upset about that as well. But that definitely, yeah, I didn't was a goal. Fanti wasn't pushed in at all. Yeah, I didn't see much controversy there. I could surprised that they looked at it as much as they did. Although at least at the yeah, as long as they did in that in that instance, I suppose you know the game literally rides on that call games either over one way or the other UND win or UMD wins the game if they uh overturn that call so i mean at least it's one of those huge kind of moment momentous uh, uh reviews you know and i'll say the last 2 weeks we've i'll speak for myself ranted about terrible refs i thought this the last 3 games were fine uh, I thought they were in the, the Western Michigan series. They were fine. So it's not like every week I'm going to come here saying that they're terrible refs, but um, let's, let's they give were, credit where it's and, due. And they j- were fine this time. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I <laughs> loved every call, but I thought they were largely inoffensive um, uh, over the weekend. And in general, kind of getting back to that, that play, the Cronilla uh, non-call generally, I like, letting them play and, and not, not over penalizing the action. Uh, it's just one of those ones that sticks out because it does have a a large effect. Um, and, but that doesn't, I mean, yeah, you can be a a salty UMD fan for them not calling that, but they still needed to score a goal Huskies to tie it up. And, and it was a good play to get it down to, to Meyer who uh who tied the game and then as you spoiled earlier uh they they won a shootout and the uh overtime was you know large it, it, it seems like they've a lot of teams i know the nhl they've talked about this where the three on three is becoming just sort of boring 
uh, it's a you know puck possession type game and I've I've never really been blown away by three three on three uh, in either case. Although I did I did want to mention and the, the the announcers were raving about uh, Lutke, 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 Lutke. I don't know how to pronounce it because I've heard all three ways, but he was. Very, I've heard it both ways. He, he was very good, um, and I I like him. I like him a lot. He's, I thought I thought he's been our best. You know, one of our best defensemen over the last three days. He's definitely more offensive minded. Um, uh, he's more in like an Ashan type uh, defenseman, but that, nothing wrong with that. You're just, you're not going to see. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and maybe we, maybe we'll see some, you know, poor defensive play from him sometime down the road, but hey, so far so good. Really liking his development. And maybe, maybe that's the biggest surprise of the year. Uh, I, I remember the first few weeks kind of being like, oh, I like this Lutke. Uh, but at that point, he was still relegated basically one game a weekend. Uh, and I don't think that... And even that was usually seventh defenseman, yeah, too. Yep. And I don't think that... I bet even the coaching staff would probably be surprised if you would have told them back in the summertime that, that Lutke would be as as vital uh, a, a key to the team as he is now. So I, I did want to mention that I, I was impressed by, by his play and yeah, you staved off disaster with, uh, with salvaging the tie. I thought that was important. Again, another frustrating you know, Duluth game, I, that second goal, it's all the Huskies got a power play and uh, we're peppering the net. I thought their best sustained pressure to that point in the game, about midway through the second period. And then it's classic Bulldogs. Uh, the you know, turnover, you know, UNB gets the puck and guy's coming out of the box and snaps him for the breakaway and he scores, of course. They're, uh, the, the code word you use uh, is opportunistic. UMD is a very opportunistic team. It's basically saying that they're lucky. But they, yeah, they convert on those kind of chances pretty much every time they get them. And so disappointed that you couldn't get a win out of that, but at least you didn't get a loss either. And even the shootout going into the third period down to nothing yeah. with that effort and then coming back, end up salvaging a tie. Uh, that's that made me feel that made me feel happy. So, yeah, here's a trivia question for you. I was doing some research on this uh, earlier today. Uh, Put me on the spot. Well, we had two two games, so the, the Duluth game and then the Western first Western Michigan game. The that the Huskies were down two goals in that game. They ended up tying those games. Didn't win. Do you know how many times the Huskies have won in regulation this year, coming from behind? They were losing in the game and they came back to win in regulation. They came back to win. I don't think we have this year. Just one. And it was the uh the home game against Bemidji. If you remember they uh Bemidji scored oh. like a minute in and uh and then the Huskies took over and won pretty convincingly. Yep. They won a couple of overtime games coming back that uh or they've lost, excuse me. There's been a couple of they won the overtime game in CC when they were down. Uh they were down 2 to 1 in that game. And they've lost a couple of overtime games that they've come back to tie. Some of these are 
I did kind of researching this. It was surprising how many times they have had late last five minute uh, game tying goals. Now, maybe we forget them because they lost these games in overtime, but the the home game against the Gophers famous uh, call on Perbix in overtime. But that was a that was a game they tied with five minutes left in regulation. Uh, the the Omaha loss at home, which we we were very disappointed in. But that was a game that Fitzgerald tied late in the last five minutes to bring it to overtime. Then Omaha won in overtime. Um, and then obviously the last minute goal to tie the game here against Duluth um, in a game. These are the first two games this year that they've come back from two goal deficits in, in games to win. So what you were talking about last week is, you know, when, when the Huskies are punched there, it's, we haven't seen a ton of fight back after the after getting punched in the face and the lack of coming back in games has been troubling you know this week you didn't win these games against Denver uh, Duluth and, and Western the Tuesday and Friday games um but you didn't lose those games and coming back from two goals in each case uh a good sign from this team something that we haven't seen too much this year so yeah another another step in the right direction in that regard and one thing, you know, one thing that led me to kind of guess zero is that for the longest time, we didn't allow a first period goal. Right. <laughs> so, so I would assume that, you know, a lot of those games we were up one nothing. So switching over, uh, Western Michigan game on Saturday or on Friday. Now I can finally go to that one, right? Yep. Five, five. And what, a what a barn burner that was. <laughs> um, Here's the thing, and this is kind of a thing all weekend, and I've been harping on this a little bit as well, but Nolan Walker and Easton Brodzinski, their last goals were against Miami. So neither of them have put a put a puck in the back of the net since then. And Easton has been in trouble for a lot of other wrong reasons of bad penalties, uh, pseudo-benching, 10-minute uh, misconduct, and, and, and whatnot. So, you know... This was kind of a coming out weekend, really, for especially Molinar, yeah. who who was just nothing really short of sensational um, over the weekend. I think his goal, especially, you know, down 3-1, you know, you think it's just everything's going to get out of hand and everything's going to, uh, every, everything's not going the Huskies' way. And you just think that, you know, this is another collapse is kind of on the horizon and just Molinar's effort play to just push through, make a play and, and score was just, it, it was something that I just didn't expect from him. I wonder if he got a uh, talking to from the coaches, like, Hey, you've got this skill. You should utilize it more instead of just your typical fourth line, just get it in deep and grind out. Um, but his goal, um, and I believe there was a penalty called on that as well because they held yes. Molinar. Yep. Um, or they hooked him. And then we scored on the mm-hmm. power play. Spencer Meyer scored. And then we're like, okay, we're back in business. And then it was another just all out effort play out of Micah Miller. And it was just like these, you know, Micah Miller, who's no stranger to the score sheet, especially this year. But it was, it was just his hustle and his tenacity that really created that play as well. And it was, it was it was just it was like those two guys just willed this comeback, you know, 
and you know to put to to get it to four three going into the third period and whatnot and just just seeing that was gave me life because all that happened within what two three minutes I think three minutes maybe a little bit more so it was you know I went from just you know defeated to elated in a matter of minutes and hockey does that to you (laughs) so um yeah it was it it was it it was quite the ride that's for sure you know the game game. Good start for the Huskies. Score two minutes in or so. Long cross-ice pass from Pert to Mietnin, and then a little touch pass. Nice, nice tip uh, by Okabe. And you're thinking, great, super start. Um, Western then scores in their first two shots of the game. Uh, and once they went up 3-1 to one on a power play goal early in the second, and those and those two shots were within uh, twenty seconds, ten seconds, yeah. twenty seconds of each other, something like that. Just it was bang bang. It was oh yeah. And then the third goal I, at some point, I think they, the third goal was either their eighth or their ninth shot. Not a great performance from from Renek on the weekend. I I thought I would have pulled him at that point. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily just the goals, but it was his body language afterwards. Yeah. He was slamming his stick down. He was slumped over. And I thought it was, I thought at that point, you just, you get him ready for Saturday. You pull him and put Caster in. Now, Huskies came back anyway, so I guess it didn't matter. You got, you know, uh, the result that you wanted from that. But it was, it, it just, just his, his body language. I was like, you got to get him out of that net. He is not into this game at all. Well, and then the tying goal, I didn't think was very, uh, a good goal either. Um, no. even on Saturday, the, you only gave up one goal, but that was a terrible goal to give up. And, uh, I thought a crusher at that point, you're up to nothing. And, and then that one kind of let Western back in the game. I was not feeling very good heading into the third period on Saturday. Well, I'll get back to Friday though. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I was not impressed by Renek this weekend. Uh, so that was kind of my feeling was, you know, here we go again. Once they get up three, not three to one on on Friday and as you said that was the turning point in the game was that Molinar goal slash penalty that ended up launching St. Cloud into a 3 to 2 3 to uh, 4 to 3 lead excuse me uh, after the second uh after two periods and at that point so it was, it was a very seesaw affair you know a lot of okay great start from the Huskies and then three goals in a row from each team got the you know emotional swings there it was an entertaining game if you like a lot of offense uh, and, and and the Huskies unable to to win the shootout there. I was going to say that that the shootout win on on Tuesday was pretty big. I mean, he couldn't get the three points from from Duluth and they're the team you're really trying to catch for home ice. But at least getting the extra point is is nice. Um, couldn't do the same thing against uh, Western Michigan on friday night but uh again i it was nice to see at least the offense coming back to life but in the same sense second week in a row you're scoring five goals and not winning a game uh which is not a good recipe for late season success generally and 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 this was another instance where i feel every other than Lutke, I would even say, but every other member of the defense was just 
a letdown. Donahue got burned on that game tying goal where he just swung at air. Meyer had a terrible play where he coughed or coughed that up. Peart, I think, overall throughout the whole weekend, other than that long stretch pass, I thought he was a liability in our, especially in our own end. And um, one of our questions from Go Huskies Woo talked about Peart, and so we'll get back to that in our question segment. But it was, it was just like you, you're literally costing us these games with how this defense is being played, and that that's just something that needs to get shored up. Yeah. Yeah, it does because in the playoffs, it's it's about defense. Um, you're not going to win. You're not going to see a ton of six to five games in in the NCAA, NCAA tournament, uh, and so that's really the the formula for for success in tournament play. Uh, and yes, having Perbrix hurts. We've we said that until I, you know, I'm going blue in the face saying that, and his absence kind of forces everybody to step up a level. Uh, and some are able to do that better than others. Um, Only Lutke has. But uh, yeah, I haven't really seen much of 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 any stellar play from the back end. And even going before Perbix's absence, it's been you know it's been a while. You know, that that North Dakota series was not good either, and you were in Perbix himself was not good especially on that first North Dakota game. So as a unit, uh, the, uh, the defense needs to step up Been saying that and another week's worth of games here has shown us that it's, it's still, uh, it's still a bit of a problem. So let's hope that they can use, use a good week here as a springboard and, and, now you're getting into, I don't want to say a lighter part of the schedule, but they are bottom half of the league teams in Omaha and then CC. You do have that second Duluth game in between those two series, but maybe that will help some confidence. Let's hope. Like I said, that Saturday game was was so key because, because we'd, be, we'd be talking a lot differently if 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 they didn't win that game. and. Glad they were able to to finish off a good Western team in that game, and and keep this in mind too. As far as this week goes, I mean, this at Saturday that would have been their fifth game in eight days. It's not a uh, not a, a type of game load that these players are used to. I mean, the some that were in the most of the team that was the non freshmen, let's say would have experienced something of that kind of schedule last year in the Omaha pod. But aside from that, not the typical schedule uh, that you're facing in college hockey, especially in the Western leagues. So maybe that is uh, a bit of a factor into, into, uh, into that. But in the same time, the fifth game of that run, the fifth of the eight was the best one that they played. So I, I don't know if you can really, chalk it all up to, uh, you know, being tired and, and, and whatnot. So, so it's, uh, it was good to see them come out on, on Saturday and get that win. And as we mentioned last week, I, you know, I texted you that we could chalk this one up. Another one of our victories. Cause we called out that fourth line last week yep. being pretty unsatisfied with, with the, uh, the Molinars and the brands 
and these kind of players and and that fourth line maybe was the best line of the week or the weekend against Western Molinar obviously two goals then on Saturday to to add to his one goal on Friday so three goals on the weekend Brand had a couple of assists uh I liked Thomas Rocco stepping in for Spalacy who looked rough on Friday took a couple of penalties so he, unsurprisingly Spalacy was benched in favor of Rocco who I thought you noticed him in the in the few opportunities that he had, and so he's stepping up and, and yeah. relishing. I thought his new I play. thought Rocco I thought Rocco was a workhorse. I thought he did well, and I didn't think he had the best game on Tuesday because he was in the lineup there. I didn't really notice him, but um, you know he's been rotating in and out, and I thought definitely on Saturday uh, his presence was known. So it's and again it's you know Brodzinski Walker, no goals from them. And, you know, it's the blow up against Miami was the last time that we've seen them touch the score sheet. So hopefully they can get that. Uh... Uh, real quickly on Saturday, it was a two to one lead. In, it was in the third period. And Huskies were on a power play and they brought out Brodzinski. They had four forwards. They had Brodzinski playing the point. They and... had four. They had four forwards in Donahue. Which I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> and sure enough, Western got a good scoring opportunity. They got uh, a really out, good out of chance, the deal. yeah. And I'm like, that's, I mean, it's, it's hard, I guess, to judge a coach, a head coach in during games. And especially like substitute head coaches. It's, it's tough to figure out what to criticize for. But that's one where I'm like, I, I mean, it's. I'm not a huge Brodzinski guy. I think he's mostly a, a one-tool player. Um, he's not a great defensive guy, at least. I mean, he's not one-tool. I mean, he's a physical player, and he's a finisher for you. I don't think he's much of a playmaker, and I don't think he's much of a defensive presence. So I don't, I'm not, I don't love him. Uh, but I, I really realize he has his value. But that's just one area. That's one decision. And, and I can also see his, the perspective of, Best off, best defense is a good offense. If we score this goal here, uh, we basically will ice this game. And I think that was the power play they ended up scoring at the third goal on. It wasn't <laughs> yeah, with they the, ended up. It with... wasn't with the. Wasn't that Brodzinski line? It was later on in that power play. But that was one. Uh, I'm not sure if if Larson would have made that call. Uh, and so, may, again, maybe I'm nitpicking here. But that was one issue where I was just like, it's it seems strange, seemed like something that that Larson wouldn't do, and they almost got burned by it. But uh, thank God they didn't. And that's where I know with you know for a while that was especially in fashion to have four forwards and one defense uh, on the power play. But I feel like you got to kind of tailor to your personnel. If you've got puck movers on the blue line, you don't need to do that. And I think we do have enough puck movers on the blue line where we don't need four and one. Or if I, I'm not against four four guys on a power play, just not Brodzinski to play the I, back, the, get the guy on the back end there. I don't know. I see. I I'm a little bit less of a fan of four. You know, and you know, obviously that's all situational and whatnot. And Molinar's goal was, you know, just that great work in front of the net. You know, they did go in and. Uh, review it for a little bit, but came out quickly and and said it was a good goal. So, um, one thing I wanted to point out was you know probably one of the best offensive defensemen in the nation. 
um, Ronnie Adderd was, I thought, invisible all weekend. Um, I thought there were only a couple times where he stood out, and every time that he made a heck of a play, you know, something would kind of go awry. But it was, you know, credit to the Huskies for really shutting him down. And, you know, that might be the key to kind of stifling this Western Michigan offense. And Ethan Frank obviously had, you know, a pretty good weekend as well. Um, but, you know, I think you're only going to stop one one of those two. The fact that we held Adderd without a point all weekend, I think uh, I think at least that was a that was a bright spot for our defense. I thought Bussy played pretty well for them. I mean, again, giving up five goals as Renek did on Friday doesn't bode well for your stat sheet. But on Saturday, kept him in the game long. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't until the second period when the scoring started. Thought he was impressive. Western's a, a weird team to me. I I, I wonder how how they're going to do in the tournament. Um, they're one of those teams that I'm, they can look really good and then they can look fairly pedestrian. Uh, and so I'm wondering which team will show up, but, uh, they gave the Huskies a good test. Um, and, and they've got some depth as well. I was impressed. I mean, that, that pass hold has never been very, you know, standout kind of star player for me, but maybe it's just because he's been in the league for eight years that he's he had several opportunities. He's on, he's on the uh, he's on this year's all Van Wilder team. <laughs> yeah, we have Fitzgerald also uh, on that yep, team. Fitzgerald's uh, on it as well. Yeah, it's the guys. It, both of them. Both those guys too. They look like they could be running an insurance agency. Uh, they've they've got a bit of age uh, and uh, in the face uh, going. And I and really so, wish I could remember the tweet that I sent out about Fitzgerald and just about how old he looked. And it's like, yeah, it looked like he would be selling me insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, yeah. Frank is over 20 goals now on the year. Um, and like I said, I think that, uh, bussy can steal you a game here and there. So they're, it's, it's a team. It's, they're kind of like, I could see him losing their their first game to a four seed uh or going to the frozen four like i i could see it uh each you know both ways for western but uh as it stands you know them being very high in the pairwise these were two good win you know good results for the huskies you know one win and then a, a tie against them and they're back up to eighth i believe in the pairwise now huskies with Correct. that yep. with this uh three you know one oh and two stretch which is basically where they were at the start of this little slide. So got to keep it up. I mean, at this point, losing games to Omaha and CC might have more of a negative effect than winning types of games against like Western is going to boost you. So each of these games, they're all important from here on out. So Minnesota Quinnipiac and Minnesota Duluth are um, all are five, six and seven. And all of them have are tied at 53 comparisons. So if it goes 53, 53, 53, and then 50. So, so as far as the comparison, you know, we got quite a bit here, but as far as an RPI standpoint, you know, we're obviously right in the thick there. Yeah. seems like their goalie issue didn't, didn't sink their season. Like some people would, but yeah, a good, a good week of hockey for the Huskies. And hopefully let's see see some more going forward.
Um, I tweeted out that Kevin Fitzgerald is second on my oldest looking Huskies all time list. Who's number one? I I remember I was I'm going to guess Garrett Rowe because he looked pretty old. He was an insurance. He was an insurance salesman looking guy, too. He kind of striked me as more of a used car salesman (laughs) kind of guy. And I think maybe because, you know, he was short. (laughs) So maybe come up in a hand-me-down suit and tell me why he could fit into this. Is a guy, yeah, a guy that wears Chrysler wears LeBaron. His, wears his sunglasses backwards on his head, like <laughs> get Guy Fieri style. I could see uh, that. No, number one, uh, Michael Olson. <laughs> if you remember Boy, Michael Olson, it's been going... years since I've thought about that name. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, he looks <laughs> like uh, like the husband of my cousin. Um who's like 40, 48 <laughs> or something. So yeah, he's, yeah, that was when he played. That was, that and was I, when he was in college. That was his, yes. his yearbook uh, picture, so to speak. Wow. I'll, I'll throw it up on my Twitter page, another picture or a picture of him. So, so, no, so that's I, left out from what I remember of Garrett Rowe. I think you made the right call there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our go Huskies woo, uh, player of the week. Got to come up with a sound effect. So, what do you what what do you have for for I our think, pow? I think I've mentioned. I mean, my two candidates, Lutke. I think I'm gonna go with Molinar though. Um, I'll, I'll give him the shout out uh, and three goals on the weekend, and especially you know that that one goal on Friday, as we said, kind of the turning point in that game, and then obviously the the game winning goals difference in the game there on Saturday. So I'll go with uh, Joe Molinar. Yeah, I think Molinar is the right pick. Um, it's, I mean, anytime you have three goals and not only that, but the way those goals were scored yeah. too. I mean, you had the one where you also do the penalty where you just kind of, it was just an effort goal. You had the grease pan type goal that was just completely missing. I tweeted out a picture of the shot chart on Friday. Uh, first period wondering why we were losing or whatnot and just the whole the whole front of the net was just absolutely bare there was just absolutely no penetration so it was you know to see Molinar kind of get to that area and be successful and granted yeah it was on the power play but still it it was it was some of these goals I I, I just think we've been lacking. I think, you know, Mietnan's not getting to that area. He's been trying to shoot from, you know, 30 feet and, and trying to hit corners and whatnot. And, you know, Brodzinski's been trying to do the same thing. So it's, you know, to see that was um, was was awesome to see. And I think that's where, you know, I, I well, I think that's where Molinar really kind of shined. So I would say him. Go Huskies Woo agrees, uh, but also... Also wanted to say Lutke too, um, where he was, you know, by far and away our best defensive player. And, um, you know, one of the questions that he asked, you know, I might as well just bring this in now since we're talking about it. Um, you know, Peart's pass um, for that first goal on Friday to Mietnan to Okabe tip. Does that make up for all of his defensive lacks uh, throughout the weekend? And, you know, the obvious answer for me is, is no. And I've got a theory about him, but I want to, you know, first, what were your thoughts um, on that question? 
yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you that. And, and I mean, it was a lot right. of lazy passes, like right out in front of the slot too. Like it was, yeah. it was not good. Yeah. And I, I mentioned last week, uh, it seems like he's trying to do some, some of the same tricks that he may have gotten away with, uh, you know, in lower levels of hockey. And we mentioned he had a bit of a learning curve at the beginning of the season. Uh, it didn't look all that great either. I I'm wondering, and maybe it's the you know flip side of 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 Lutke, where Lutke had like no expectations coming into the season, and he's he's surprised, and we're singing his praises now. Is it the flip side going on where we're giving uh, Peart a, a long leash here because you know second round draft pick and Mister Hockey and and all this? If he didn't have, I didn't follow him in high school. It's, I didn't know. I didn't watch him play until this season. If I had no, if he was an undrafted guy that came in here similarly with to Lutke, with he had kind of no expectations, I would be like, this guy doesn't deserve the ice time. Um, and so maybe I'm giving him the longer leash because he's got all this hype coming into the season. But to me, if I'm stripping away hype and all that sort of potential, because I do think he's a talented player, obviously. But if I'm ignoring all of the sideshow sort of aspects with him, I think he's a been a bust this year. Um, and Whoa, throwing out the B word. <laughs> and there's way, I mean, there's plenty of time left in his career here to, to right the ship. And so I'm, and I, I, I'm willing to give him the, I'm not going to, you know, trash him, but uh, it's calling man, him a maybe, bust sounds like kind of a trash. Maybe it's a, we're, we, we, we light a fire here. We don't, uh, we don't. That happened with the fourth line. We light a fire exactly. under them. So we've done that. We did that with Kuka earlier four, this year. Four point weekend, four point weekend coming up for period. We do this out of love because we're, we're trying to, uh, to motivate. God, we, we know all the team listens to this show religiously. Well, obviously. What else are they going to do? Exactly. So, uh, I'm, I'm doing it out of love and out of a, yeah, I wouldn't do this. I'm not. I, I'm not saying uh, uh, Brady Zemer. Ugh, you know, he, he's a bust. Um, he, there's no future left in there. I'm maybe I'm using the the harsher language because of again the uh, the amount of hype that he had coming into the season, and I just expect more from someone that comes in with with that kind of uh, ex- those these kind of expectations. Um, just from the defensive side of the game, it's not, it's not working for me right now. And you can be an offensive first defenseman. Like we've said, I think that's how you'd classify a guy like Ludke and, you know, guys like they've had in the past, like a Sean and, and these guys certainly had an offensive edge to their game and, and, and use that as, as a main part of their, uh, style of play. And I really do think, I mean, so he had that first month or so that was rough. Then I thought he played well, you know, coming into second half of the year. He's kind of regressed back to the October self here, but we have seen good stretches of him. Uh, And so I'm not saying that it can't be turned around here uh, going forward. And I I certainly hope so. Uh, But yeah, I don't I don't know exactly what happened uh, in the last month or, or so where he has looked slow on the first step it's getting burned a lot he's a lot of careless puck handling leading to some sloppy turnovers 
directly leads to goals for the other team. Just elementary bad defensive play. He's not doing enough offensively or in any other aspects of the game to offset these issues. So, yeah, maybe the bust, maybe it's too early to to say bust, but just for this year, not exactly, he's not your rookie of the year. Let's put it that way. I mean, here, here, here's the thing is that he, he still drives a lot offensively. I mean, sitting here right now from a points per game standpoint, he's our second most points per game defenseman. Perbeck's obviously 1.5 points per game. And then uh, Pertz at uh, 0.68 points per game, 13 assists on the year. Um, So it's, there's clearly value there. And I actually kind of equate this quite a bit to Jimmy Schultz freshman year, where I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Whereas the game hasn't slowed down for Peart yet. I feel like the game has slowed down a little bit more for Lutke and he's seeing things a little bit on a, a wider scope. I think Peart just needs to adjust the fact that he doesn't have time in this league. And I think he's just thinking he has more time that he does, and he's just getting burned by it. I think once that clicks for him, I think it's 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 gonna be he's gonna be a showstopper, and he's going he's going to need to make these mistakes to learn. And I know that's tough when we're really have the makeup of a championship team, a team that lost in the championship last year. But it's I think I think he's he, he's gonna adjust to these mistakes and and learn from them and turn out to be a heck of a player. Um, it's just at this point, yeah, Lukey has has surpassed him. And and, and I think Peart will get there, but I don't think he's above criticism at all. Yeah, I'm not even saying that Lukey has passed him uh, necessarily. It's just, again, I, I think a lot of this has to do with expectations. And on, the, that's on the defensive zone, yes, he's passed him. Uh, yeah, so, and, and, and what we're, we also have to, uh, keep in mind, Lutke had two full years of junior experience uh, with him. Pert did have about a half season's worth of of juniors. Played 24 games with Fargo last year uh, after high school. Handful of games the year before. Uh, and so he's much closer to the true freshman, which very rare nowadays. Uh, you know, the guy like uh, Jack pa- or uh, uh, Ryan Paling. Ryan yeah, he's he's the uh, exception. These guys are the exception to the rule nowadays. Uh, guys that have less than a full you know, season of of junior hockey experience in them. So, you know, a guy like Luke, he's a little older and he has experience playing at that elevated level above high school. And so, a bit of that learning curve um, for Pert that could have taken place in Fargo or some other place in the USHL is being is taking place here at the NCHC level, which kind of like him being at the juniors, which never really happened because the juniors were postponed. That experience at the higher level is going to make, you know, the, the, the development curve is going to be a quicker one because you're stepping into higher uh, level of play at an earlier age. Well, let's just hope that this is the bad year. This is the year of, of development. And we saw that with, uh, what, Chalowski? He was not very good his his one year as it turned out and and now he's you know he's had some NHL experience this series with the Kraken I know uh, I don't think he's been on the roster 
much of this year, but I know he's had some action. And so he, he was able to turn it around and he's, he's playing in the pros now too. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'd probably say it's likely that Pert becomes in two years, let's say. Do you think he hang, hangs around for two more years? Yeah. Um, in two years, he's the best defenseman on the, on the roster. Sure. I wouldn't be shocked. I would almost expect it. Um, but uh, right now, he's become a bit of a liability on the back end. Uh, and so hopefully this is just a, a playful calling out session and we can see some uh, a stepped up performance like we've done our magic touch this year of calling guys out it generally works so let's hope that that i i can't wait till friday where he gets a checking from behind penalty in the first (laughs) in the first first shift first shift first shift kicked out of the game you know i did bring up his point total but it is it is of note and i i should call myself out for this you know he was pointless against north dakota against denver Tuesday against Minnesota Duluth had one that one assist um, in the Western Michigan series. So in the last seven games, he's only had one point. So I and that that core and that correlates to the to the rough part of the schedule for St. Cloud. You know they've won one of those games, so maybe there's a correlation there of of of, of performance. Uh, and so so yeah, it's uh, I I'm yeah I'm not. Um, I'm not giving up bottom, but uh, I'm getting a little frustrated. <laughs> Switching over here. Let's uh, hop over to Omaha and uh, uh, Omaha here on the horizon. What a, what a roller coaster year. They beat up on uh, not so good teams early in the year, you know, jumped out. Uh, I mean, what were they? One, seven and one, something like that. Um, and then just the wheels have fallen off for them. Um where they even got swept by lowly Miami last weekend. So it's oof. Uh, but but uh, Omaha, it definitely is going to be a pairwise killer if you drop some of these games here. These are the games that, you know, good teams, you're going to have to have to win these and on a reeling team, you know, that lost three out of the last four. Ended up coming back and beating North Dakota in overtime. But it's... The, these are the games. These are the series here that you that you have to come out and and really put up uh, put up solid efforts to get to get wins. I don't really care if it's on the road. Yeah, I I think a sweep here is is kind of needed, especially with. Uh, so you got uh, Duluth has got Miami this weekend, and then they have North Dakota at home. That could be flip flopped. Check that for me, but. Basically, the next two weeks, you got St. Cloud has Omaha and CC, both teams. You know, they're sixth and seventh in the, in the conference, whereas, you know, Duluth gets Miami, terrible team. But then they get a tougher test in, in North Dakota. So they've got North you, Dakota. They got them this North, weekend. North Dakota this weekend. And then, and then at, Tuesday at, at Miami. St. Cloud. And then well, probably uh, just coming right, right from North Dakota here to St. Cloud then. Well, no, or yeah, that's next. Yeah, I'm sure they, yeah, they probably would because that's next Tuesday. Yeah. So yeah, if you, and now with the four point uh, deficit, I would say this is the weekend you can make up those points. I mean, I would assume Duluth's going to sweep Miami. So, and I would assume that St. Cloud's going to sweep CC that weekend. So this is the weekend you want to make, hey, you want to climb, at least 
make up a game here on on uh, Duluth if you can. You wonder if you know uh, Omaha getting swept at Miami. Are they going to come out in the similar fashion? You know, playing North North Dakota a few weeks ago uh, when St. Cloud you know played them at their at the tail end of a long losing streak. Is this another sort of trap weekend where they're going to come out extra PO'd because of a poor weekend uh, against Miami? You hope not. I, I, I'm thinking they're, St. Cloud's going to take care of them pretty good. One of the games, I'm going to say, is a route. Uh, and then another one of the games will be close. But, uh, you know, Omaha is a team that certainly can win a game here and there. Uh, and they play a similar style to the Huskies, I'd say. They they like to score goals. And they did win one of the games in St. Cloud earlier this year, an overtime win, a game in which the Huskies, I thought, really outplayed them, but Miami was able to to steal one there. Uh, and so generally the Huskies play pretty well and match up pretty well against Omaha. And I'm expecting that this weekend. Hope it, hope it happens. And, and you look at Omaha with the sweep at Miami this year, this year, three and five versus combined versus CC and Miami this year. That's killer. That's going to be the difference between them making the tournament or not. Um, and seeing their schedule the end of the way here, all at home, but St. Cloud, Denver, and North Dakota are at 17 and 13 right now. I don't know if there's any ties in there right now, but uh, let's check that out here real quick. Nope, just 17 and 13. But they got these six games plus whoever they play in the playoffs, which is going to be on the road. Does Omaha finish the year 500 or not? I'm going to say no. Oh, that's really close. <laughs> um I I don't I don't know if they do. I mean, um overall, I think they do. No, they don't. They maybe? I don't know. That's a that's if if you give me a bet, even money on it, it's it's a coin flip. I mean, they never beat they never beat Denver. Uh, North Dakota, they generally don't beat, uh, and St. Cloud, they struggle against. And they're going to play either North Dakota or Denver or Western probably in the playoffs. I don't see it happening. Um, I, I don't see it. Yeah, maybe you're right. It's quite the collapse for them. I mean, then again, what they played Long Island, Alaska. I mean, yeah, terrible oh. non conference. Alaska four times. Um, yeah, they're, they're highest. The team that they played in non conference that has the that's highest in pairwise is Lake Superior, which is somewhere in the mid 30s. So, pretty terrible non conference schedule. So, the record, even as it is 17 to 13, a bit deceiving because didn't get much of a test uh, in non conference. And like I said, Dropping five games to CC and Miami combined uh, is is not good. Um, so these are games that the Huskies should win, and if they want if they want a ch- chance at home ice for the playoffs, you really have to get it done this weekend. And this is where I think I think Rennick kind of has to has to be on his game. Omaha is a team that. Um, they, you know, you look at their, they average a little over three goals per game. So it's 
you know, Seville is very hot or cold. I think that's a good, you know, reason why you say that, you know, one's going to be a close game. One's going to be maybe a little bit not so close. But it's, it's a weekend where six points, five, you know, even if we do another four, I think it's going to be, you know, from a pairwise at least. So if we just switch it over to a pairwise, you know, win in a tie, I think at minimum. But uh, obviously a sweep, I think, is monumental uh, when it comes to uh, it comes to Sinkfeld's chances for the tournament. I wonder if they give this Roden a start in one of the games. Uh, he's played a game in the last two years each against St. Cloud and looked very good. Shut him out last year in the pod. And then he was the uh, starter when they won their overtime game against him this year. Um, I know that he's only played seven games this year, so he's getting, you know, Seville is getting the vast majority of the work. Um, but Roden's played very well against St. Cloud, and Seville, you look at his career numbers, pretty pedestrian. In 907 save percentage his first two years, this year at 901. I mean, these aren't numbers that are lighting the world on fire, and that's including playing, at least in this year, against that stretch of terrible uh, non-conference opponents. So that's even considering a, a light schedule for part of the year. So I, yeah, I, I remember after they played him in November, thinking why they don't give Roden more of a, more ice time, because it seems like he's better goalie, but seems to be Seville's job uh, to lose. So I would, I just wouldn't be surprised if, if they gave that Roden a, a one of the games uh, this weekend. We shall see. I was, yeah, I was just looking at his stats. What happened in that Miami Omaha game in November? The late, wow. late choke. And Miami had like 15 shots all game. Yeah, uh, Seville let nine saves, allowed four goals on 13 shots. Yeah. Yowza. <laughs> yeah, not, not, uh, not great, and I didn't see any of the games this weekend, but I can't imagine those were pretty either. Uh, Miami tripling its number of conference wins over the course of the weekend, going from one to three, um, and pretty much put a nail into Omaha. Well, I guess not, because you have the you have this tough schedule here. If they run the table, let's say, which ain't happened, but let's just say it does, then they could make up some bearwise ground, but pretty much i'd say realistically it's gonna have to be winning the tournament or 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 not as far as getting into the ncaa's so and i don't see that happening either so hopefully this is a case of the team is on a downslide omaha and st cloud is looking to get all every points they can desperate team in a situation like this and Hopefully they come out as the the hungrier team and and get the job done and make this a business trip and take care of business. Uh, let's let's hope we see it. Just because I was looking at you know the schedules and whatnot, um, you know I landed on Minnesota Duluth here. They're sitting right now at fifteen, eleven, and three overall, and with you know three games for sure and a very high probability of five games against St. Cloud left, you know, a little bit of stumble and a sweep of all those games for St. Cloud. We could eliminate Minnesota Duluth from the tournament right now, this season. How crazy would that be? 
They'd be it, sitting at like ninth in the pairwise and get Wisconsin rolled out of the tournament. Yeah, they are. They are uh, as high as they are. I'd say. I mean, Cratch has them as the number one schedule strength of schedule. Duluth. So I think they're the fact that their record is, you know, four games above five hundred. Factor in the fact that the computers, at least, have their schedule as being the toughest. That does wonders for you. Whereas a team like Quinnipiac, 25-3-3, three three, but they're at fifth in pairwise because or in Cratch because their strength schedule is at 38th in the country. So the uh, strength of schedule, it's one thing that I've kind of noticed is I think that's a, I think the, the computer's uh value strength of schedule a little too much but yeah they do there's a, there's there's issues with pairwise uh that go beyond that I, it's just such a small sample size and so i think whatever that's why i don't like the i i'm i'm fine using the pairwise and i like using the some sort of objective standard to sort these teams out but the overall i think there's becoming an over reliance on it like so between 7th and 10th. So Duluth, St. Cloud, UMass, and Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech, I'll give you props, by the way. You you picked them to make the tournament, and they were up to like 6th. They lost this last weekend, so they're down to 10, but they look pretty strong for the tournament right now. Anyway, those four teams are separated by 0.01 RPI points. Uh, Duluth at, point, at 5738. Tech the 10th team at five, six, three, nine. So even so point zero zero ninety nine points of RPI. But as, as we saw in years past, they just separate the, so Duluth is going to be the seventh seed and, and tech's going to be the 10th seed. And that's how they're going to be seated where there's such a small gap in the, in the math between those four teams. I think what they should do is use the formula to establish like, groups of teams <laughs> and then within those groups you kind of move teams around because there really is no material difference between those four teams i mean it's because you know duluth uh, the the teams that only st cloud and duluth are the only teams of those four teams that have played one another in the regular seasons uh, how uh, how accurate is that math in separating that duluth is a better team than umass and duluth deserves to be two two slots ahead of them doesn't make much sense to me so so yeah i don't know why we got on this but yeah looking at the records especially now with the overtime losses and wins how they factor that into the thing uh is is stupid i know that there was i was listening to the chn podcast and apparently there was some notre dame fan that was all up in arms about how low notre dame is in the rankings because they're 29 or 21 and 9 is their record but they're at 13 and they're like, well, they got like five overtime wins and they played a terrible non-conference schedule. Like this is how it kind of, that's why they're lo- as low as they can be. And so, so let's say you're the commissioner then. All right. Andrew's the commissioner and, and we're going to, we're going to rework the NCAA tournament in your eyes. You have the pairwise as it is now as that guide. For all of the team, like here's here's the top sixteen, or you know, obviously with conference, you know, auto bids and whatnot. 
here is your group and then put the human element into that to to kind of kind of match them up uh more of an eye test so to speak or do you even pick outside of that do you use that as a guide but it's like it's a material difference but you know it's such a small you know cutoff but i do think maybe like a notre dame is in over a team that would otherwise wake it like a michigan tech who is able to make all those ties something like that how would you want your ncaa tournament you are the commissioner go uh putting me on the spot here uh yeah i if there's a way yeah if the computer spits out here's the top 15 teams according to you can use Cratch, you can use rpi you can use the pairwise which is using the rpi as one of its factors in determining uh comparisons between teams so but e- even there like there could be a situation yeah so right now the 15 and 16 teams you can even go down to 17 clarkson at 15 they got 5411 in rpi umass lowell 5408 northeastern 5406 so the difference between 15 and 17 is 0. 0.0005 points it's minuscule um and so if you're just going the hard line, which is how the committee has done it for in recent memory, Clarkson is the 15th team there. That's the cut line and Lowell and Northeastern are out because of that. And I think there's some flaws in that. So yeah, I would say kind of using it, maybe establish a cut line or at least then let's say if in this situation, Let's say Lowell or Northeastern, one of those teams had played Clarkson in the in the regular season and beaten them. Maybe then I'll I'll bump that team above Clarkson in that case. Um, so maybe I'm not using that as like a hard and fast. This is the line of who's qualified and who's not. I gotcha. Um, but then also in between that, well, first if I'm the commissioner, I'm getting rid of the current NCAA format. I'm going back to campus sites. I'm Ooh, okay. going to two out of three series in the first round. Um, what I hate about the NCAA tournament right now, it's just so random. And it's it doesn't produce legitimate winners enough of the times, or convincing winners. Here, here comes your Duluth bias again. Well, if Duluth were to have won playoff, <laughs> like two out of three series in a couple of these, like uh, the NHL. NHL's had all these sorts of like eight seeds winning or underdogs winning uh, and one seeds, you know, losing the first round. The problem, the difference there is that when the LA Kings won it as an eight seed, they had to win 16 games to do that. It's less of a fluke when you have to win that volume of games. Uh, and, and as the lower seed having to do it on the road so often when it's the NCAA tournament, you're playing four games in front of often like zero crowds in terrible ice conditions. Um, you're not facing any sort of hostile environments going into another team's building to do it. Uh, and so there's just this degree of randomness that makes it all that more unsatisfying. So yeah, when it's, uh, when a eight C like the Kings can do that, um, at least they've had, they've had to play a bunch of games in order to establish the fact that, they were able to win 16 games. 
Whereas as it, as it is now, it's, it's just not enough volume uh, of, of action for me to do that. So yeah, I would, and, and in order, so when you're picking the field, then it's the top, you know, whoever is getting home ice, that becomes a lot more important to the selection Mm -hmm. process. I don't know if you remember back in, you know, point or, or our 1.0 podcast when we, when, when we talked about this and I was firmly in the camp of, we got to keep trying neutral sites, but we got to have, you know, go after AHL, USHL arenas more um, versus, you know, well, we'll get into it in a little bit, Allentown or Albany or whatnot, where it's notoriously terrible conditions. Um, You know, try those first. And if that's still not feasible, then go back to campus. I have switched. I'm coming back to, I I agree, campus sites. And not only that, you're right on two out of three. And I say for the first two rounds, two out of three at the higher seed, you get the atmosphere, you get the, you you reward your top seeds. Um, I think having a series will institute more of a gate, but I think also you're going to even see worse attendance because not only um, is it, you're going to see worse attendance you know, in the regionals this year, not only because of the locations are garbage again, but the fact that there's an extra day now in between the the regionals. So it's like, okay, now I got downtime in Allentown. What am I going to do? And it's just even less of a reason to go out to an NCAA regional, no matter where it is. So it's, it, it, I think it was it was an experiment, and I agreed. You know, it was it was a push forward at that time. The demand's not there. Let's go where the demand is, and I think it's back on campus. Well, yeah, and I I don't expect the NCAA to do that. I mean, keep in mind this is an experiment. Now we've got thirty years of data about how terrible neutral site regionals have been. This isn't just something that we've been trying for five years, and you know, COVID uh, screwed it up. No, we've got a long history of how terrible these regionals are. Uh, and the, the, the stupidest thing about it is that the times that they get good attendance is when you have a host team that's close to, the, to a school, making it a non-neutral site, essentially. I mean, yeah, when... Uh, Where they're automatically placed, yeah. Yeah, it's like the, uh, you know, St. Cloud had to play... North Dakota in Fargo for a regional final a few years ago. Like, tell me that's a neutral site, you know, playing in front of a sea of green. Uh, no, thank you. And so it's this uh, discrepancy. It's this logical fallacy of we want re- re- uh, neutral sites, but we also want attendance. And the only way we can get attendance is if we give a team essentially home ice advantage. Yeah, it might not be the actual a home rink sometimes. I mean, they play, they've played at the Ralph uh, regional games. They've played at Notre Dame in, in years past uh, in their campus uh, facility. So it's, uh, it just doesn't work. And they're trying, I mean, they've, I, I'm assuming they've like trying to ape the, you know, March madness. They think that, you know, the basketball tournament's going on at the same time. And that's, that's a cash cow. So that's what we do in the NCAAs. They got to realize, and again, this is 30 years into this, got to realize college hockey is not as popular as college basketball and never will be. 
it won't be a, a fraction of the amount of eyeballs that watch the, the regional hockey games and to do any of the football, like the cheesiest football bowl game is going to outdraw uh, the Frozen Four even. Um, Frozen Four is actually the, the one thing that it generally, uh, they've done it right. And they generally get a sellout crowd for that. So yeah, in your preferred experience, your preferred format, it would have been the format they did for a few years, late 80s, early 90s, where it was two out of three, the first two rounds at the higher seed. And I believe that was a 12-team tournament at the time. And I believe the top four seeds got a buy into the second round. Um, so if you were a lower seed, you had to win that first series to get in to play one of the top four seeds. And then going into the Frozen Four. Once it's at the Frozen Four, it's just a one and done for all the games. Yep. And I'm fine with and that. And I'm okay I'm with fine. that. I'm yep. fine with that, that don't, format. Don't, don't touch that. <laughs> it's good enough for conference uh, to have a series. So why, why not have it for the NCAA? Or in, you don't even have to extend it out because you get a downtime week in there anyway. Yeah, and so. if you're, if you're, I think some, I think a lot of the, the rationale for going away from that and, and then eventually employing the pairwise was it's the uh, smoke filled rooms are going to benefit the bigger schools. Uh, and, but, so that's why I say don't completely ignore the pairwise. But as we've seen, the, the amount of parity that's in college hockey these days, um, it, we're not, it's not just going to be all big 10 schools are going to host every game. I mean, look at this year, the f- top four teams, Michigan, okay. T- traditional, big, big school, big power, it, you know, all the big school advantages, Mankato, number two, Denver, number three, traditional power, and then Western Michigan at number four. So, I mean, you'd have two teams here, Mankato and Western, which aren't, you know, they're you know, Minnesota state is not even a full D one school. Uh, and so, uh, and neither is Denver, although they're, you know, traditional hockey power. So, and there's years that St. Cloud was number one overall. It's like, that's not, I, I don't think that they're a blue blood, uh, program. Um, so I think that the parody of college hockey has greatly increased over the last few decades to the fact that yeah not every year you're going to get the same michigan minnesota boston college boston university it's not going to be the same four blue bloods that always are at the top of the heap a lot of times it's going to be the mankatos or the st clouds or you know umass wins the national title last year there's a lot of parity right now that's a good thing so he's still using some sort of objective standard to to try to help set the field but then after that, using some some judgment as far as how to seed the teams, and then I think the biggest thing would be moving away from the current format. Now, as my as far as my confidence level that that's going to happen anytime soon, very low because I don't expect I don't expect them to do this uh, to, to to make those kind of changes. But well, the crazy thing to me is that who wins in this scenario? This scenario right now, who is the winner? It, it, the the host team isn't the winner at all because they have to help foot the bill of putting everything on and whatnot. Fans aren't the winner because it's tough to go to these games. Venues don't want to bid on them, so they're not the winner. 
it's nobody wins in this situation. The viewership isn't the winner because who's going to watch a game where there's nobody who even wants to go to those games. So, so no one's going to tune in, even if it is on ESPN three, it's nobody wins where we're currently at. So let's change it. I didn't even expect this to go down this route, but yeah, maybe we uh, can, we can talk more about it. Uh, sort of closer to the tournament or so closer to the regionals yeah. because yeah i got a lot of talk a lot to talk about when it comes to this but speaking of we did get a twitter question uh for from robert uh robert poser here um which regional would have benefit the huskies a uh, low attendance quiet one or a well-intended a well-attended more actively engaged ones you know and that's always the caveat is where is your actively engaged regional and it's probably Loveland because Denver's going to be there. And, and even though I Denver, would rather not face Denver, are they yeah. the host school or? Yeah, I'd rather not go. That's the one I'd rather not go to. Although at the same time, yeah, Denver's going to have home ice, but they don't have fans. So are they going to have a, <laughs> That's also gonna have a ton? They're going to have a ton of fans there. We don't know. Nobody likes Denver. So I would, I mean, I Albany worked pretty well last year, right? So maybe we'll do Albany again. I guess. It's I mean, Albany, Allentown, Loveland, and Worcester. So those are your and and these you had mentioned about the bidding process and how very few venues bid on these. That's how Notre Dame got its home ice uh, regional a few years ago because no one else had bidded on the the regional, which is ridiculous. But the other thing is that's why we get Albany every year. That's why we get Worcester every other year. Manchester. Bridgeport has gotten a slew of regionals. Like who the hell is going to Bridgeport for a regional? Um, and, and so it's we because there's so few venues that are willing to to put in a bid for these. It's why we get this. We're shuttling shuffling through the same kind of five venues, and then Allentown, which is Penn State. That's the Midwest region. Allentown, New Jersey. New Jersey, uh, which is a state that, correct me if I'm wrong, borders the Atlantic Ocean. That's now the uh, Midwest Regional, thanks to uh, Penn State bidding on those. The, the only, and really the only thing I know about Allentown is that Billy Joel uh, did a song about that town. Um, I, I don't know if I would want to go there, but it doesn't really matter. I, I just, I don't, I would not want to go to to Loveland. Because of, I just, I don't want to go to Loveland because I don't want to play Denver. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's the only thing. No, there is, there is an L- Allentown in Pennsylvania. That's where this regional's at. Oh yeah. God, what am I thinking? It's, it's on the border of uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. It's in the Lehigh Valley uh, region. So it's like, it's on the Eastern side of, yeah, Pen- I, I knew it was Pennsylvania. I didn't, cause it's, uh, I think it's in the song. It's like the steel town. Like we're living all in Allentown and uh, I think it's got like a flash dance kind of vibe to it, you know, steel town, but you know, we're still going to dance and, and, and groove to the music. I think that's the whole gist of the song. I mean, leave it up to the master uh, Billy Joel to, uh, to, to, to teach me. But is that where the uptown girl was from? I think so. I think that might have been the same album. Yeah, it was like a concept album, and it was all uh, it was all inspired by the film Flashdance. So, so yeah, I'd say everything, anything except Loveland. But and even like the Albany Regional over there last year, as you mentioned, terrible ice conditions that uh, 
the BU game, the, their coach was not, uh, he was not mincing words when he said that the, uh, the ice conditions were, were not good. That's what you get. Well, you and get, then not, not only that, but you know, when we played, when we had the debacle against AIC Fargo, that I was mean, terrible ice in too. Fargo. They say I, the terrible ice conditions. The theory there is that it's the NCAA requires them to strip away the, uh, you know, any ice, any logos on the ice. Yeah, and they have to put their NCAA paint painting. You know, all the logos oh, on the ice has to sense. be NCAA stuff. So that's that's why I mean that Fargo ice is generally viewed as a pretty good ice sheet. Because you know, they play their USHL games there, and it's a venue that hosts hockey f- frequently. It's mainly a hockey arena, um, and so people were surprised at how terrible it played that year. Because it wasn't just a St. Cloud game; I mean, that was Denver's was in that regional too, and they had choppy games. Uh, and the the theory goes is that because they got to basically redo the ice a few days before that, it doesn't. It's a quick turnaround. And what they did last year, they said that they did that whole paint job like a week in advance. And because of that, it, it, it let the ice set or, you know, whatever, a lot better than it did the year before, which was the, or I guess two years before, which was the AIC debacle. So last year they said the ice was pretty decent. Um, but it's because they took the initiative of, of doing the NCAA required crap well in advance and not every site has that uh has that luxury to do that and i think albany i know that at least they they used to have a ahl team there i'm not sure if they still do but it's a lot of these venues you know their hockey is not their number one attraction so they only have a certain amount of time in order to install all the requirements the ncaa uh puts on them so yeah it's a it's a terrible system, and, and there's a lot of different ways they could tweak it, but as I said, I don't really have a ton of confidence that they will. But A um, couple other questions here before we wrap up. Um, first off, what's your go-to St. Cloud House of Pizza order? <laughs> Caleb Peabody, thank you for that. Uh, mine, for my family, it's the House Deluxe, and uh, that's uh, got a you know, kind of the top, top toppings of pepperoni, Italian sausage, mushrooms, onions, green peppers. My wife loves it because there's no olives. My wife is not a black olive fan. So, so that's why um, we like to get that. And, you know, anytime we get like Papa Murphy's, like they'll have their, you know, Supreme type pizza. We make sure there's no olives. So I could take or leave them. So I'm, I'm okay with, I can't do, I can't do green olives at all. I think green olives are disgusting. Black olives, I'm never going to order them, not going to go out of my way to order them, but if they're on like a deluxe pizza, fine. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty much the same as far as get those olives off my pizza. For 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 me, like if it was, you know, <laughs> wife and I will kind of have our own pizza that we love. Uh, and then, you know, our communal pizza where I guess we both make sacrifices. So like my wife loves a pineapple a Hawaiian pizza. And I'm not a huge fan of it. Now, I'm not one of those, you know, raise your torches and pitchforks if you like pineapple on pizza. That's yeah, very I am, controversial. I am, I am you do you. You 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 like it, go right ahead. I It's not for me. I love pineapple. I love grilled pineapple. But to me, it's it's 
it's the contrast that doesn't work for me with pineapple and pizza. It just, it doesn't work for my taste buds. So I'm not a fan, but you do you if, if you like it. But for me, like if I, if it was just me, you know, she's on a girl's trip or whatnot and I have house of pizza ordered and delivered to me, I'm getting a meat at the house. So I'm getting your Italian sausage, Canadian bacon, breakfast bacon, pepperoni, just every meat-based product, just plop it right on there. And I am going to town on that. Wife, wife wants a little bit of variety. I want it. I just, no, just, just give me the whole pig. I like that. that those are probably the four best meat toppings. The breakfast bacon, underrated as oh, a yeah. topping. And Italian sausage. So, so there's some there's some pizza places where their default sausage is like an American sausage, like a it's almost like breakfast sausage. Um, somewhere in Saint Cloud, that's the default topping. Dimaggio's maybe. So I've it's been I've learned my lesson to always state Italian sausage, not just sausage, because sometimes it's some you know lower grade sausage that they put on there. Italian sausage definitely the best. Uh, sausage to put on uh, a pizza i would say but yeah i like that i like that meat combo um that's a good one although i i i don't know it's pizza and generally you can't really go wrong with pizza i would say if i'm i kind of like one meat one veggie is kind of a decent one like a like italian sausage banana pepper is a good combo um, or Ooh, if you have like a roasted uh, red pepper, not a banana pepper fan. Yeah. Okay. We've hit another controversy here. Um, <laughs> wow. It, looking at your face, you really don't like that. Uh, you don't <laughs> banana like uh, pepper. banana peppers. I don't know. I just some everyone just ah, I bite into a banana pepper, and I'm just like, disappointed with my life choices that led me to that banana pepper. So what? So worse than Hawaiian pizza? No. <laughs> really okay all well, that i'm surprised no, again how about, it's, it's the contrast i'm just not a fan of the contrast all um, right this how about just, uh, hawaiian they, hawaiian pizza with banana peppers oh god i would throw that pizza <laughs> out oh, oh don't that's not even pizza anymore that's <laughs> it's homework to eat that <laughs> um last question uh go to um your last meal before the electric chair Gary's Pizza or Val's, obviously you can abstain from the Val's since that's your hot take. Um, <laughs> you know, if I'm getting Val's, you know, obviously it's a large fry. Whatever burger I get, it's it's okay. I actually kind of think Val's Burgers a little bit overrated. That's where I go to burger time for Ooh, my Ooh, hot take. Come on, <laughs> Val's hater. Pitchfork Nation, no, come for uh, Weldy here. They're... they're their fries, though, top tier. Their shakes, top tier. So, so that's my combination there. And Gary's, I'm just, I'm getting a thin crust Gary's special. Here's the question, though: What did you go to the electric chair for? Italian sausage. Oh wait, no. <laughs> what did I go to? The <laughs> you went, you went to the electric chair for Italian sausage. I wonder how that story played out. Somebody tried to give me a uh, breakfast sausage. So anyway, it started blasting. <laughs> Anyway, I started blasting. Bah, bah. Anyway, you guys all think I'm a hero, and I'll accept that responsibility. <laughs> so, you still watch Always Sunny? I don't watch Always Sunny anymore. Not, not in years, and of, it's, it's still on. Ran out like, of it's steam. in like it's still season on. seventeen Somehow. or something. 
I think I gave up around. Well, I didn't give up. It's it's not something I like said I'm not gonna watch it again. I just did. Just I don't know. Didn't yeah. have cable anymore, so I haven't seen it in probably ten years. But yes, yeah. But they they were they were good back when I watched it. Maybe there was ten seasons probably that I could treat myself to someday. Uh, well. That about does her. Um, you know, three three games to recap that uh, pushes out the podcast a little bit. So thanks everybody for a little bit. Uh, sitting with us and enjoying us. And uh, any any final words there, Andrew? Well, get the banana peppers. Get the banana peppers. Worst final words ever. <laughs> that sounds like that sent a chill down my spot. Like, oh, <laughs> like, and, oh banana yeah, maybe banana peppers are worse than Hawaiian pizza. I haven't. Like, I don't order either, so I guess I can't rank them. Either way, I guess better than North So, uh, that we can but, agree on. There we go. So, until next time, go Huskies. Woo! Woo!